0: Welcome listeners to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, the podcast that highlights cozy and traditional mysteries. You won't find stories filled with explicit sex or graphic violence. You will find interviews with authors who create crime fiction filled with intriguing plots, engaging characters, and high quality writing. Thanks for listening. Hello, listeners. And welcome to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. Kay Bianca joins me in the corner today to chat about her debut novel, The Watch on the Fence Post. Welcome Kay.
1: Thank you, Alexia. It's, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: In The Watch on the Fence Post, a run in the park lands your protagonist, Kate Frazier in an intriguing mystery. Could you tell us something about Kate and what she's up to?
1: Yes, uh, Catherine Frazier, or Kate, as we call her in the story, is a 27-year-old young woman who's just had a terrible tragedy in her life. Her parents uh, were uh, killed in an automobile accident, a horrific accident, several months before the start of the book when she's running in the park. So we first meet Kate when she's out in the park with her little dog, Barkley, and uh, she's running a five-mile training run because uh, she's been counseled that she really needs to have something in her life to refocus her away from the morning for her parents. And the challenge, the physical and mental challenge of the marathon is something that appeals to her. So she's she's training for a marathon. Um, While she's out running, she runs a five-mile training run. And then when she finally gets to the end of the run, she's back at the starting point. Uh, next to an old fence post and while she's uh, she's cooling down and stretching out she makes a startling discovery and that is there's an expensive gold watch on the fence post and she thinks that's very odd and she looks around the park is almost deserted by this time it's late in the afternoon they're getting ready to close so she takes the watch to the lost and found but It has really sparked her imagination, and it's the first thing that's done that since her parents' death. So she's a software developer. She's an analytical-type person, loves puzzles, loves problem-solving. So she decides she's going to figure this out, that there is a mystery there, and she's going to work on it.
0: Now, now you you blend a story about shady politics into this puzzle mystery. So how did you approach combining two seemingly different types of mystery into a kind of a seamless whole?
1: That's a great question. when I was uh, when I was working on the book, I was really uh, influenced by a writer named Hank Philippi Ryan. I know that you know who she is. I hope I'm pronouncing her middle name right. Um, I had read a book by uh, by Ryan. Her, it was called Truth Be Told. And I was very impressed with the layering technique that she used in that book. So there are several different things going on um, and, and you're you're being taken through different subplots. So I wanted to use that. And so what I did was uh, the main plot of the book is Catherine trying to figure out this, uh, this mystery. Of course, she solves the mystery of the watch quickly, but that presents her with yet another mystery that uh, implies that her parents' deaths may not have been an accident. So that's the real mystery that she's trying to solve. But along the way, there are different people and different subplots. One of them is uh, the politician who is running for, uh, for governor in her state. Um, in addition, there are some other people that she meets, some interesting characters along the way. Uh, she has a relationship with a, with a man, a very handsome businessman, whom she has, doesn't care for very much, doesn't like him very much. And apparently he doesn't like her very much. Uh, but their relationship starts to change during the course of the book, and then there's uh, a relationship that she has uh, when she meets Cece, who is a, second, a secondary character in the book, who turns out to be very important in her life. So Catherine and Cece spend a lot of time trying to figure out these clues and where they're going and whether they can figure out the
0: truth to the, uh, to the story. Uh, one one thing that that I liked was the sort of tr- traditional uh, puzzle mystery that was you know uh, kind of flowing through all these these subplots. So how did how did you develop those clues to the puzzle? I mean, Did you think of the solution first and kind of work backwards? Did you come up with the clues along the way and just see where they led you?
1: Yeah, that's another great question because some of those clues, uh, or at least one of them we used with our own son we used to play clue games with him when he was a little boy to lead him to say a birthday gift or something or a christmas present or something like that and so we would write a clue and he would he would look at that and when he figured that clue out it would lead him to another clue so that was sort of the 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 the, the catalyst that drove me to create these all these clues and some of them, a couple of them, came to me uh, just sort of by accident, or I, I had been thinking about it, and something would pop into my mind. Uh, but like I said, one or two of them were actually clues we we used uh, on our own son when he was when he was little.
0: I think it's, it's great that your your real life experiences with your son inspired you. Um, did any any other puzzle mysteries inspire you? I, I admit Nancy Drew came to mind a couple of times when I was when I was reading it. <laughs>
1: Definitely you know I think uh, so many of us who are writing mysteries for big Nancy Drew fans when we were children and I was certainly in that in that uh, ballpark. Um, probably the thing that inspired me most um, about the, that particular book was uh, an audiobook I was listening to when I was out running, which really inspired me to write the book. It was a book uh, written by an author named Harry Kimmelman. Um, uh, Kimmelman wrote a set of mysteries back. I, I want to say the '60s or maybe the '70s, uh, called the Rabbi Small Mysteries. And in these mysteries, uh, there's always uh, something happening. There's a murder. Rabbi Small gets involved in trying to figure it out. Sometimes he's actually the suspect, and uh, and he works with the uh, the, the chief of police. Uh, and it and it's a it's a it's a clever. Uh, set of mysteries. And, and that really inspired me when I was listening to his first book. I was thinking, you know, I could write a mystery like this. And it was something I had always thought I would do. So it inspired me to, uh, you know, to get the laptop out and really start pecking away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and classic mysteries are of I'm a fan of classic mysteries. So... <laughs> Now, um, tell, uh, tell us a little about the, the town of Bellevue where your, your story is set. Um, it's in the foothills of the Rockies, um, so are you inspired by any real towns, and and what role does the setting sort of play in the story?
1: Yeah, Bellevue is kind of an interesting place. It's a big town or, or little city, however you look at it. Um, I, I think in the book I call it an adolescent town, because it's sort of a new place. You know, it was inspired uh, by the uh, by the uh, uh, the tech industry, and it's an, it's a new place. So a lot of the people who have moved in there are very bright people. They're in uh, occupations that are very lucrative, and they have uh, and so they've created this wonderful utopian town. Uh, and of course, that's a great thing to poke fun at. You, you know, you love it when, when everybody's so convinced they live in the perfect place that you can make, uh, you can make a little fun of them. Um, we lived in, uh, and I don't want to compare any place to, to Bellevue, but we have lived in a college town or two. Uh, my husband is a, a, is a retired college professor. And uh, college towns are great. You, you know, the people are wonderful. There, there's so much to do. There's, there's a lot of uh, intellectual stimulation there. Uh, wonderful places. And we visited other places that are like that, too, that remind me a lot of Bellevue. So uh, Bellevue has this reputation of being the perfect place. And so uh, I managed to shoot a couple of holes in that reputation along the way. <laughs>
0: Because <laughs> no place is really perfect, is it? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> now, now speaking of tech, you, your background is in IT. Uh, yes. so did, did your tech background help you at all with, with plotting the mystery?
1: Um, I think so. You know, I think uh, mysteries are, or puzzles in general, are, are really um, all about problem solving. And uh, in software development and IT, uh, that's what you're doing. You, you, you're presented with a problem and you have to find a logical way to solve the problem. Um, I actually found that mystery writing is a lot harder <laughs> than, than writing uh, computer programs or developing systems because um, the, in a way, uh, writing a mystery is a very left brain exercise for me because uh, I have to put the puzzle together, figure out the characters, and so on. But um, it's, it's also a right brain activity because it has to be entertaining. It has to have elements that are surprising and that, that people enjoy. Uh, you know, I know, uh, I know your mystery stories, Alexia. I find writing mystery to be really hard. And I suspect it may be harder than a lot of other genres because you have to put this puzzle in place. And you have to supply the reader with a surprise at the end and you have to drop all these clues along the way and so it's uh in one way it it's sort of a formula but another way it's not a formula at all um is it do you find that
0: i I do because not only do you have to do all that you also have to find a way to not be obvious about it so they haven't figured it out by page three um
1: absolutely yes
0: So, yes, I, I agree. Writing, writing mysteries is a lot harder than people realize. And, you know, frankly, if we make it look not hard, it means we're doing our jobs right. So. Right.
1: Right. I think that's why uh, mystery writers are so interesting to me,
0: because I think I, I wonder why they would do that to themselves. <laughs> I know maybe it helps us work out our aggressions. We do put it all on the page and actually turns us into some very nice people. I've, most mystery writers are actually very nice when you meet them.
1: You know, I found that too. As a matter of fact, I find that the writing community as a whole is amazing. I've just been so delighted in these past few years learning so many people. Um, But I also find mystery writers, I think, are people who just really enjoy the challenge. You know, they they really they're probably going to climb that mountain (laughs) (laughs) no matter how tall it is, you know.
0: (sighs) Now, um, given that your 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 background is in tech, uh, what inspired you to take on the challenge of a romantic puzzle mystery with a political thriller element instead of writing a techno thriller? Well, that's a
1: good question too. You know, when I was in uh, school, I had uh, several teachers who had uh, encouraged me to write. Um, but back then, I was really sort of all about math. That was more—I was more interested in math, and that led me more into a computer science direction, which I loved and delighted that it did. But it didn't leave a lot of time for uh, for writing. Um, but once I I retired, I found so much more time and 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 goodness, I had no idea how hard this was going to be or how much I had to learn in order to, you know, to get a story that was good enough to be published. Um the 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 thriller aspect of it, the the political intrigue, you know, I'm I'm not really sure where that came from. I'm a little bit of a more of a seat of a seat of the pants pantser rather than a plotter i do have a general idea of the plot when i start but as i continue to write i find that um that a lot of things just happen you you know I, i kind of discover characters and and scenes as i go along i knew at the very beginning that i wanted a politician in there i wanted a politician with a with a dark secret I knew that I wanted uh, Catherine to be a runner. I am myself a runner, so that's <laughs> so definitely where to put that in there. And I knew uh, a little bit about the family. Uh, you know, she discovers a dark family secret in the process of the book. And um, I knew that I wanted that in there. And that was sort of the seed that started it. But how they developed along those lines was more like a process of discovery. Well, <clears throat>
0: oh, that's... Um- that's fascinating, actually, because honestly, I would have guessed that being an IT expert, you would have been more of a plotter, Um, because I'm assuming you can't write a computer program by the seat of your pants. <laughs> That's exactly,
1: you're exactly right. I mean, I was even surprised that I wasn't a plotter, because when you sit down to write a computer program or to design a system, you do all that design up front before you start, you even look at a, at a keyboard. Um and yet, the, the writing seems to be uh, using a different part of my brain, I think, uh, than, than uh, computer programming did.
0: So that's so, so. I mean, it's even more impressive that you've managed to weave so many things into your story without, you know, without the scenes showing. So, another important thing is the the characters, uh, the characters' faith. Uh, you know, the, the religious faith is important to them um, and you present it in a way that doesn't come across as as preachy or that you just, you know, put it in there for effect. So how did you approach incorporating the faith element into a murder mystery? That,
1: that's a great question, because um, I did not want to make this specifically a book about faith. As a matter of fact, I, I really started out just writing the mystery and I suppose the faith came in there because I am a person of faith. And so it, it's just sort of a natural part of some of the characters there. Um, and But one thing that, that I, I cared about, I did not want to preach. I, I did not want to get up on a soapbox and say anything. It's, I hope, just a natural part of the story and a natural part of who Catherine and Cece and, and the other people in the story are.
0: And, and I think it does come across as a just a very natural um, element. Um, and, you know, you said it's a part of you. You said you know, another part of you is, is the running. And obviously that kind of worked its way in uh, with, with Kate's story. So, I mean, do you, do you run marathons? Well, I have run marathons. I probably have, am finished with marathon
1: running now, um, but I, I may still uh, keep up with a few half marathons now and then. Uh, My husband and I also uh, uh, compete in senior games and I run track events and senior games and I'll run any distance, (laughs) to be honest. But, you know, I I find running is so fascinating and it's such a great metaphor for life. You know, there's so much that you learn when you run. You go through all the things that you go through in life. You know, you have success, you have failure, you have pain, you have injury, um, you make relationships through running. Um, as a matter of fact, when I was thinking through this and preparing for your, uh, for your podcast today, I was thinking the first uh, running scene in chapter one of the book has Catherine starting and ending at the same point of, of the, of the five-mile run. And I thought, you know, that's an interesting metaphor because so often in life we can do a lot and we find ourselves back at the same point we started from. And we think maybe we didn't make any progress. But on the other hand, we arrive back at that point quite different than we started from it. And so I, I just think there's a lot
0: there to explore. <laughs> So we, so we've heard how um you know your your faith and your running and your i t background have all all you know influenced uh, elements of the book uh, but there's one one of your characters is is a master of disguise and not at the not at the silly mustache and floppy hat level I mean really good at it so how how did how did that work out? I mean are you a master of disguise as well or I'm
1: not. I would be terrible. Even, even my facial expressions, you know, people can read what I'm thinking on my face, so I'm terrible at it. But uh, Cece is a fascinating character. And I. it's funny, I based Cece on uh, on my best friend, um, who is a, a really delightful, wonderful woman who is, uh, uh, again, a person of great faith. But what's funny about it is my my friend would never be in disguise. <laughs> they would never be quirky or anything. But CC comes across very quirky and of course disguise is a wonderful thing to be able to work into a mystery because now you have somebody you're just never sure who that person is who walked into a room. So I'm using CC now in the in the succeeding books to continue with her special talent.
0: <laughs> and, and and speaking of which you you kind of uh, answered my next question. My next question was, is there going to be a book
1: too? Yes, as a matter of fact, there is a book too. Um, I, I continued, or I, I set the next uh, book in the series back in Bellevue, and uh, it's the, the title of that book is Dead Man's Watch. And in this book, in, the, in Dead Man's Watch, uh, Catherine and CC are out for a run, <laughs> again, right away. And they happen onto, of all things, a dead body. So this sets up the the situation for book two, and I've tried to develop it a little bit differently than book one. You know, book one was the main plot line was Catherine and her search for the truth. In book two, I have still a major plot line with Catherine searching for a killer uh, in order to uh, prove the innocence of a friend of hers who's been accused of the murder. Uh, but there's also a, a major subplot with Cece. Um, so I'm I'm trying to uh, keep the series fresh by changing it up a little bit. Uh, and so people will never be able to kind of guess what's going to happen next, or to assume that this is just another Catherine Cece book. You know, I'm trying to uh, to move beyond that. And I'm working on book three now. And I I have a new experiment I'm trying with book three. So I don't know if
0: all this will work, but it sure is a lot of fun. Well, And, and having, having fun is, is half the battle. <laughs> so uh, where, where can readers buy a copy of the Watch on the Fence post? Uh,
1: well, it's available on, uh, you know, in all the major retail uh, sites, um, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, uh, Apple Books, um, and uh, and then in, in in certain bookstores, and it's available obviously as an ebook or as a, a paperback. And I also have an audio of the Watch on the Fence Post. I, you know, we had been told that audio had just become such a huge segment now of the fiction market um, that we arranged to have an audio of it made, and uh, and and it's been very successful. We're just delighted with it. Apparently, a lot of people are out there. Uh, you know, driving to work, out running, doing chores in the house, um, audio is a, a, a really good uh, method. So um, we're, we're delighted about that, too.
0: Yes, it's, it's much easier to uh, train for your marathon while you're listening to a book than while you're trying to hold one, I imagine. <laughs> That's right. And, oh, and,
1: and the book is also available, the audio is available on uh, Amazon and on
0: Chirp Books, and um, how, how did you uh, uh, find the narrator for that? Is that, uh, did you audition people or did they come to contact you or?
1: Yeah, I, you know, we worked through uh, my publisher and the publisher set up the, uh, the auditions and we listened to a number of people uh, and we had a couple of them uh, read sections from the book. And that's how we finally got to the narrator. Um, and she does a, a wonderful job. I cannot even imagine how you can, you, you know, use your voice to to change that much to be able to to be different characters in a book. She does a really good job. So we're looking now for um, a narrator for the second book. We uh, th- that narrator is not available anymore. So we're we're looking for another one now to see if we can get Dead Man's Watch
0: in audio. Otherwise, uh, someone listening to a book about finding a body while you're out running may not be what they want to do while they're actually out running.
1: I know they probably would <laughs> give them a little pause to go down that lonely trail. <laughs>
0: Although a lot of true crime uh, podcasts start that way. Somebody's either out running or walking the dog when they stumble across something that so. Right and and uh, where, can, where can readers uh, uh, come across you if they want to connect with you and find out more about you, where can they do that?
1: Oh, well, I would love that. Um, my website is uh, kdbianca.com and uh, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest um, and so any of those platforms and my, my name is unusual enough that I'm the only one out there. So if you find a KDbianca, that is for sure going to be me.
0: Okay, so it's, it's, you're under your name on all the different platforms.
1: Yes, that's right. Okay, all
0: right. Well, thank you so much for joining me in the corner today, Kay. I was, it was great having you as my guest.
1: Well, thank you, Alexia. It was a delight. I appreciate it so much.
0: And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Kay Bianca, author of The Watch on the Fence Post. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star rating or review. Help me keep bringing you fun and informative chats with authors of cozy and traditional mysteries by supporting the podcast on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash author Alexia Gordon. Until next time, goodbye. (music) mm <music>